0: This is Mark Steiner, your host for The Mark Steiner Show and Soundbites, right here on your source for Cool Jazz and More, WEA 80.9 FM, the voice of the community, and also heard on DeMarva Public Radio. We're about to enter into a debate that has been broiling in the state for a while and around the country, and that's the question of fracking, uh, which is the method to take gas out of the ground uh, that has caused such controversy. We'll talk about why. Uh, and all the issues surrounding it. We're joined here by Mike Tidwell, founder and director of the Chesapeake Climate Action Network, author of The Ravaging Tide," Strange Weather, Future Katrina's," and the Race to Save America's Coastlines. Good to to have you back with us, Mike.
1: Great to be here.
0: And back also, but in studio, is Drew Cobbs, who's executive executive director of the Maryland Petroleum Council. Good to have you with us, Drew. Thank you. Good to be here. So we have now facing the state Senate, there are several bills. Let me just tell our listeners here that we can get right into it. Uh, the, the Senate uh, Education, Health, and Environmental Affairs Committee is hearing three bills. One is Bill SB 29, Senate Bill 29, which would um, ban fracking outright. Or, and then SB 409 puts an eight-year moratorium to hold on, on, on drill permits. And then, SB, and then for Senate Bill 458 would hold drilling companies strictly liable for any harm caused if fracking is done. And then we also have the Maryland Department of Environment, which is now in the middle of debating within itself about whether they will adopt regulations that will permit fracking and ending, in effect, uh, what has been a a three-and-a-half-year moratorium on it during the study period. So the question is, we have these polls that we've seen, both from Climate Action Action Network that found 43% of Marylanders favor long-term hold-on fracking, and another another, – poll by the Goucher College, uh, that is a statewide polling all the time, found that 45% are against fracking, 36% in favor, but 20% really undecided in the state. So we're going to get into that here. So the, the the bottom line here is, and we've seen New York has banned it for health reasons, many of the states allow fracking, Pennsylvania being one, a neighbor to the north. So, and, and before I jump to Mike, let me go here to to Drew Cobbs who's in the studio, because as you handed me this piece of paper, your organization, the Maryland Petroleum Council, is opposing all three of these bills, That's and I'm correct. sure lobbying the, envir- the Department of Environment to let us have the leases. Yes, we are've uh, there, there are a number of things to'll touch on to start
2: with. Uh, you know there had been a study for three and a half years that uh, Governor O'Malley had set up a commission to study this and look at this. Uh, they finished their work at the end of the year, and they they basically in the end concluded that the state is able to rigorously enforce compliance and, there, and adopt the best practices that they were recommending that the risk of Marcellus shale development can be managed to an acceptable level. That was their conclusion, and and right as Governor O'Malley was leaving office, he proposed the administration proposed extensive regulations, forty-two pages worth, which would be the strictest and most onerous uh, regulations dealing with drilling uh, anywhere in the
0: country. And 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 Mike, um, let me let you come in here. I mean, too, I clearly, which of these bills do you support? Or all of them?
1: Well, I. I I am in support of all of these bills, um, and I say that uh, by, you know, just making a broad statement that something clearly needs to be done. You mentioned the polling data, uh, just the number of of significant bills in the General Assembly. You mentioned four of them, uh, you know, suggest that there's something here, or you mentioned three bills, but the Maryland Department of the Environment is, is working on regs. Uh, clearly there's a big issue here um, uh, I think the most prudent course though is uh, SB 409 House Bill 449 which is basically let's just continue the moratorium we've had for the last three and a half years and the reason we need to continue it continue it for mm-hmm. another eight years which is what this bill would do is because we don't have the health data we just don't have the health data yet it takes a while to do baseline health studies New York has banned fracking primarily because of health concerns. And that's one of the weaknesses of the O'Malley Commission and, and their proposed best management practices for possible fracking is they were weak on the health front. So let's, uh, we, we believe that an eight-year moratorium that gives you time to do baseline studies, let's get more data, and let's make sure that we're not poisoning Uh, drinking water and affecting our kids by having this come in our state, especially given what our neighbor to the north, New York, did by banning it completely due to health issues.
2: Mark, let me jump in here. Uh, Let's talk about New York to start with. That was a completely political decision. Uh, The governor had had his, Governor Cuomo had had his administration look at this. They did not set up a commission like Governor O'Malley did. There were not public meetings, 35 of them in Maryland over three and a half years. And great deal of transparency. The public could participate, could testify uh, at each case. So obviously, the the two examples of how this study was reviewed and done in the two states is dramatically different. You know, Mike's happy because that was the result he wanted in New York, and he's not
0: happy with the result in Maryland, and that being the biggest difference here. But let me get into some of the issues here. I mean, when we talk about health risks, what health risks are we talking about? I mean, what do we know, or what, what do we know, or what do we not know about health risks associated with hydraulic fracking to get gas out of the ground? Mike.
1: Well, first of all, I just the, to the to the claim that New York's decision was purely political. Uh, the 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 number of meetings and town hall gatherings and studies and pages of. Of official government documents applied to New York were even much greater than anything Maryland's done. That that the issue of fracking and Drew Cobb has said it himself in recent years, they've studied it to death in New York. They have. They've studied it a lot. And after studying it a lot in New York, they came to the conclusion that it should be banned. And I mean, Dr. Howard Zucker, who's the acting commissioner of health in the state of New York, he this was his quote at the moment of recommending a ban. He said, quote, would I let my family live in a community with fracking? The answer is no. I therefore cannot recommend anyone else's family to live in such a community either, end quote from Dr. Howard Zucker, Acting Commissioner of Health in New York State. Um, and, again, that was after lots of, of reviews. So what are the specific health threats? They're, 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 they're multiple, and perhaps even the greater concern are the health threats we don't know enough about because we haven't studied them long enough. Uh, but they include, of course, uh, potentially permanently contaminated drinking water. You've got all the uh, other impacts to uh, communities living near these wells, uh, known carcinogens that are used in the fracking process, uh, uh, you know, r- rising truck traffic in rural communities, the diesel fumes, the noise pollution. Uh, there's a whole host of health concerns. Uh, that, frankly, we just need more time. We may wind up wanting to ban fracking in Maryland like New York has done, uh, or we may, after a you know a, a, a continuing pause and more study, decide that, no, it can happen, but these are the more rigorous health standards that we need to embrace, that we don't even know enough now to create those regulations.
2: And that's that's what this commission in Maryland did. They looked at it. They established best management practices, and the idea is to prevent any possibilities of any contamination and that's what the the maryland commission did um the, the difference between the two is New York just made the step. And, Mike, they still haven't issued their final report, which was long overdue on that. They just did a sm- short report when the governor uh, made that initial announcement back in December. So we are waiting to see the details of, of what, how they supposedly reached this conclusion. Well, I,
0: mean, I, I guess what, what listeners really want to understand is when we talk about these things, um, is fracking – let's just start with health. I mean the, the question is, is it dangerous to our health or not? I mean, what do we know about that? I mean, and that, that to me is um, – I mean, there's a reason – there are reasons, correct or incorrect, why a huge plurality of people in America are worried about fracking. Well, let's, let's go on
2: that. I think if you look at NASA data and polling data, it's a lot different. You know, Mike's poll was what's called affectionately in the thing a push poll. Uh, he asked about the New York thing. He didn't talk about the, what happened in Maryland and asked Marylanders, this is what's decided in Maryland. What do you think of that? So uh, I think it was somewhat of a biased poll along, along those lines. But the other point I'll make is you know, this activity, fracking, has been going on for over 60 years, 60, 65 years. There have been over a million wells fracked. Now, more recently, the last, you know, this century, in the last 10, 15 years, the volume and the horizontal drilling that's occurred you know, has called for the volume of, of more water to be needed in the process on that. But two dozen, approximately two dozen states are doing this. None of them have stopped doing it. And the idea is just trying to manage that thing to a safe level, which you can do, and a
0: properly change your regs as things evolve. So what does safety mean in fracking? I mean, for a long time, you know, Mike. I've followed you worked very intensely over the years, and and um, you've done a lot of work with Governor Martin O'Malley and his time in office. But he came out in the end here saying we can have safe fracking if we if we have these what the petroleum industry calls owners regulations to make sure it's safe. So, what's your response to that?
1: Well, first of all, uh, the, the 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 polling data. Our poll was not a push poll. Uh, our poll was done by a reputable firm called Opinion Works, which is well-respected. They do polling for the Baltimore Sun and others. We asked a straightforward question. It wasn't a series of questions leading the respondents to a particular response. It was one question where we said New York has banned it. The state of Maryland is still looking at it, and it was a fair question.
2: Mike, Um, why, why why didn't you ask a Maryland question about what had happened in Maryland? Why didn't you use the quote from the Maryland Commission and then ask that question?
1: Well, our our question was fair, as was the Washington Post. The Washington Post did its own poll and found, I assume you you don't consider the Washington Post to be, you know, an environmental lobby. Um, And their results were 56 percent of of Maryland's opposed fracking. I mean, the results are the polling is out there in lots of different ways from lots of different groups and newspapers showing the same thing. The majority of Americans and a majority of Marylanders do not want to see uh, fracking happen. Uh, at all, or they don't want to see it anytime soon until we learn more. Uh, and and I, my question for Drew Cobbs is, if you think that Maryland got it right, uh, that the O'Malley administration's commission got it right instead of a ban in New York, do you support the recommendations of the O'Malley administration? Do you want to embrace those regulations and apply them to fracking? Yes or no? If, do you think they got it right? Are you ready to go with those regulations?
2: As, as far as the outline of the regulations, the conclusion, we agree with them. We do have some issues with some of the individual specifics. Well, and and well, the one I... thing I will say, it's it's interesting, we, uh, uh, maps were done in both Garrett and Allegheny County where this would occur, only in really western Allegheny County and most of Garrett. And with the restrictions that were proposed by the O'Malley administration, well over 90 percent of both counties would be off limits to drilling on that with with the different precautions and setbacks, et cetera, that they they propose. So this this is going to be very limited at best uh, if done under those rules.
3: But do you
1: support that? Do you support what you just described as an outcome of the commission study? Do you support the setbacks? ninety?
2: Mike, I just said off-line. that we supported the outline. We do have some issues with some of the specifics on that. But o- overall, as far as the outline and what they proposed, uh, we, we can deal with. As I said, there are a few little tinkerings, mostly about the time that it would take to get through the process and some other issues that we thought were redundant uh, on the uh, on the, uh, the the whole procedures that you would go through uh, on that. But the, the thing you have to remember is, you know, it costs millions of dollars uh, to do a Marcellus well on that. And the time frame that you're asking to go through could be three or four years to get through the entire permitting process, uh, which is really unheard of as far as any other permit you'd have to generate like this.
1: So- well, I think that you need you need additional time. And if it's unheard of, it's because the, the fracking process is itself uh, novel. It's exotic. You can say they did it 60 years ago, but they weren't doing it the, the kind of volume and high-pressure fracking they're doing now. Uh, there are just a lot more concerns now. And so we need to – it's an extraordinary new uh, proposal – to frack on, if it, in this way and we need extraordinary safeguards. Um, and I think that's why you're seeing the well, Mike, it's data. new
2: to you. It's not new to other folks. As I said, two dozen states have been doing this. Why have none of those states banned or taken the dramatic action that you're calling for?
3: I mean, well, they have the, the experiences
2: been. with that, and they're dealing with that, and they haven't had the problems, the anecdotal evidence that you're, you're alluding
1: well, to. Well, John Quigley, who was Pennsylvania's uh, head of uh, uh, Department of the Environment, uh, came to Maryland and testified in front of Maryland lawmakers uh, two years ago and said we got it wrong. We the way the way that we allowed fracking uh, with very few safeguards uh, across the state of Pennsylvania, we've let that genie out of the bottle. And and he expressed enormous regret to the members of the General Assembly and said if he could do it other uh, over again, he would have established a lot more regulations. I think you have Mike enormous Mike regret. on
2: that same point. Quigley then went on to say with the new regulations and what they had updated and done, which the Maryland proposal is based on, that that was the way to go, that that was once they, they got ahead of themselves. So let's let's go on about Quigley's well, but, full but, statement. But, but what I
0: want to figure out is I think I listen to this. and this. I still I don't have a sense from either one of you to 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 people are wrestling with, especially that. Uh, that, that that inside that 45% that most polls say oppose fracking, some want to ban it outright, some just want more study. There's at least 20% of the people in Maryland who are going back and forth about it, not sure where they stand. Is I want you to describe, Mike, and then you can please counter, if you if you would, Drew, what the dangers are. I mean, why should there not be fracking? People are arguing Western Maryland we need fracking because – it creates jobs and it's an energy source and there's a clear tie between that and cove point and more so do you know what I'm saying i mean so what we have to i think we have to be put put it very clearly on the table what you two of you think about the why it should or should not happen
1: well i mean I, i'm a i'm my overriding concern is is climate change and uh, we have uh, in in the last few years uh, significant studies from world's leading climate scientists and geologists and And others who have said, "Look, uh, given the amount of carbon, given the amount of greenhouse gases already in the atmosphere, um, how much more greenhouse gases can we put in the atmosphere and still have, you know, a habitable planet, something that is conducive to human civilization as we know it now?" And the basic conclusion is that uh, there's not much more greenhouse gas uh, pollution that we can put in the atmosphere. Therefore, about you know, 80 to 90 percent of the known fossil fuel reserves on the planet, what we know is there in terms of gas, including Marcellus Shale gas, oil deposits, coal, 90 percent of those fossil fuel known reserves need to stay in the ground if we're to have a habitable planet. So that means instead of rushing to bring this gas out of the Marcellus Shale, we need to leave almost all of it in the Marcellus Shale if we're going to have a habitable planet. Same with coal, same with tar sands, oil, et cetera. So at the macro level, you've got a why are we rushing to bring fossil fuels up from the ground when the scientists tell us 90% of it needs to stay in the ground? And then there's the threat, the safety. So that's a climate safety issue, risk. Um, and then the actual process of bringing it up from the ground. Look, you can go to Texas. You can go to Oklahoma. You can go to Pennsylvania. You can Google fracking safety Pennsylvania right now, and you will see all the data, all the threats including earthquakes, we've now figured out such an extreme form of fossil fuel extraction that not only do it, does it impact the climate and surface water, et cetera, it now also triggers earthquakes. So I think that that, that, that gas in the Marcellus Shale, including under Western Maryland, has been there for millions of years, waiting a few more years, even eight more years, to make sure that we are minimizing the dangers is a very reasonable thing to do. Why rush into this?
2: Let me, let me start. I'll start on the macro side too, and, and we'll, we'll start with CO2 emissions. Uh, the biggest thing that this abundant supply of natural gas that has been provided because of fracking and horizontal drilling is, is basically natural gas is supplanted coal for power generation. This has lowered CO2 levels significantly, and that's been a major contributor because of that. So you have, uh, with natural gas, about half the CO2 emissions that you would have, all sorts of other benefits as far as particulate matter, NOx, and other things on that. So on that area, natural gas has been very helpful uh, in that in process about CO2 emissions. Then also, uh, it's been a huge uh, boom to to our economy in the United States, Natural gas has generated, obviously, in cheaper, less expensive energy uh, for both people to heat their homes and on their electric bills on that. And a study has shown that right now your average American household has saved $2,000 because of fracking and horizontal drilling. And I'll say if you look at gasoline prices in the broader sense, too, they're a dollar less than they were a year ago, and that's because of our significant increase in domestic supply. So on a lot of fronts... In the macro sense, there have been a lot of benefits that, not to mention manufacturing and other things, because energy costs are now much more competitive, if not less expensive, than what we're competing against around the world. So that's helped our manufacturing sector here. Now on the uh, issues relative to the process itself, the biggest issues relate mostly to water uh, on that. And there are two issues about the water. The one is, is you put water down the well to frack a well. Eventually, some of that returns to the surface It's a matter of pro- properly handling that, and managing that. And, and there were issues in other places where there were spills or concerns about that. It does have chemicals in it. The biggest issue probably is there's a lot of salt that, that ends up in this as it comes back up. And it's mac- making sure that you properly handle that. In Maryland, what they proposed, which no other state had, is a closed-loop system, that that water would come back up and be put in tanks. The other thing just the industry's done and that Maryland will encourage is more recycling in the water, that you'd reuse that over and over as much as you can. So in some places, they're using a, recycling 100 percent of that water. And the second point is relative to the well itself. Now, what's happened with the standards that are required in Maryland is that multiple layers of casing, which are basically the pipe and stuff, and cement would be ensured that you wouldn't have the ability that the water, any of the fluids, or the gas itself would be able to get out of the well and that you would make sure you'd have a secure place.
0: But the the question here, there are a couple of questions here. I do do want to talk about where fracking is going in the state of Maryland, um, uh, beyond western Maryland. But let me just first, I mean, when I was just kind of, kind of telling you some background on this, there was a study that came out just in September t- that the L.A. Times talked about where it said natural gas production, um, the, the study in Texas saying contaminates drinking water. And another study like that took place in, in another state. There's several states that have shown this happen. So, th- I mean, that is an issue, which is, I mean, how does the industry respond to that issue? Well, like I said, it's it's a matter
2: of the process of doing it properly on that. And that's what those standards there are set forth in Maryland would
1: do. Mike? Yeah, I, I just got to go back to it, what Drew was talking about in terms of climate change. I hope your listeners were listening carefully, because when I talked about climate change, I talked about greenhouse gases, because there are more greenhouse gases than just carbon dioxide. There's also methane, and methane is depending on how you calculate it, up to 80 times more powerful at trapping heat than CO2. When Drew talked about climate change, he only mentioned carbon dioxide because, yes, at the end of the day, when you burn gas versus you burn coal, the CO2 emissions from gas are about half of that of coal. But if you factor in the life cycle greenhouse gas emissions of natural gas versus the life cycle greenhouse gas emissions of coal, you find that in many circumstances, gas is even worse than coal for the atmosphere. Why? Because a lot of that gas escapes into the atmosphere before it burns in the form of methane. It escapes as methane when you drill it. It escapes as methane when you pipe it, when you compress it. So the, the, the data keeps coming in showing that gas isn't anywhere near as good for the climate as Drew Cobbs and others in the petroleum uh, 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 industry claim. And in fact, especially if you export it, it's almost certainly worse than coal. Um, But in terms of of water, I mean, look, the the, the industry has not solved the cement casing problem. You're going to have leakage. Uh, You know, there was I think it's about 96% of all the health studies in any way related to fracking. So that's water health, carcinogen concerns. About 96% of them have concluded in recent years that there are health concerns and risks and that they ought to be uh, further studied. Only about 4% of all these studies have concluded there are no problems or that these problems are, are guaranteed uh, manageable, uh, so I think you, you you see that the science and the data um, uh, fall more squarely on the side of caution and 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 going slower. And the data, it's hard to find any data other than the promises and the, the the studies of the industry itself saying don't worry, we got this under control.
0: So the the we told our oil prices, are gasoline prices at the pump. But I was just going to ask a question, Drew, because I think. The majority of that—I mean, that—that that wasn't because of fracking and gas in America. Didn't, most of that had to do with OPEC um, deciding not to reduce the petroleum output. Today. Yeah, they were Mark, keep pumping, right? That was, no, that's but where came why,
2: from. why did they decide that five years ago Saudi Arabia would have just cut production, as with OPEC, to drive the—you know—tighten the supply and drive the price back up? They cannot do that now because of all the domestic production here in the United States and because of fracking and horizontal drilling. Because if they do that, they'll lose market share. So they've decided that that's the way that they need to attack this issue uh, on that. So there's been a, there are a lot of geopolitical issues with this, and it's much, much broader uh, a factor. But in that market, that's why the Saudis made that decision. So,
0: Mike, is somebody's... go ahead, Mike.
1: And I think if the U.S. gas industry really cared about the geopolitical consequences of Saudi Arabia versus the United States or you know protecting American energy and American energy consumers, then the gas industry would support keeping the gas that they frack here in America as opposed to as the gas industry has in the United States being enthusiasts and supporters for exporting our Marcellus gas to the rest of the world through Coke Point in Southern Maryland. So you could talk about the Saudis undercutting us and and geopolitical consequences of energy and and therefore try to conclude that uh, the gas industry should do more uh, fracking here. Uh, um, But really, it's the gas industry that's been the biggest cheerleader for exporting American gas to the rest of the world, which does, in fact, harm American uh, energy security, and it certainly harms. Uh, American energy users and consumers, because it's r- raising the price of gas here in the United States by exporting
0: it. So let me ask this question to of you again. One of the things I, you mentioned earlier uh, drew about um, um, the only thing it really would affect would be Western Maryland. But but when I was looking again, preparing for this conversation, and looking at these geological maps and seeing the articles from last year of the of of the um, of exploration for gas from fracking to take place on the shale, I'm blocking the name of the shale, but it goes from Southern Virginia up through Prince George's County, Calvert County, Anne Arundel County, St. Mary's County, that there are shales all across Southern Maryland and into the Eastern Shore. So the prospect of fracking in the state of Maryland is in, and then I saw the other map of these different shales, not all maybe as as potentially profitable as Western Maryland and Pennsylvania, but they're there. Fracking is going to be much it has been to be much broader and wider in Maryland than just Western Maryland. That's that's the point that
2: Mike likes to stress. But the bottom line is, as far as recoverable, what's recoverable gas, those areas, the Taylorsville Basin in particular, even though it's a multi-state area, has equivalent of about 1% of the amount of gas the whole Marcellus has. So very limited supplies would be very hard to access, you know, get access to that. Um, so I think that's extremely unlikely on that. But Mike tries to make it into a statewide issue and threat. Right now, the only place where there is any interest, and albeit very limited right now, is Western Maryland. Things have even changed there. You know, five, six years ago, people were trying to get leases and wanted to develop that area. A couple companies came in and, and asked for drilling permits, were seeking drilling permits. But because of both the the supply of natural gas, which has reduced the price, and the more interest in what's called wet gas, where you can get the natural gas liquids or the condensate out of it, makes it more valuable. So the activities move further to the west, both in Pennsylvania, into Ohio, and then more up in the panhandle of West Virginia. So there is as much uh, demand at the moment for dry gas is what we have in Maryland, and only a a reasonable amount of supply is out, out there in Garrett County.
0: So where do, you think this, where, where do you think this will go? This is, this is clearly going to be this being – I mean, the, the contention the other week in Annapolis was pretty hot and heavy, both in the committee with the demonstrations outside and people on both sides of this issue coming in. Where, is it, where, do, you, where do you two think this goes now? Mike?
1: Well, I um, – uh, first of all, just to the issue of the amount of gas that's recoverable in Maryland uh, – you know, six, seven years ago, the gas industry in this country was investing billions of its own money importing gas and preparing to import gas from overseas. But the fracking revolution has been so profound uh, that it proved the gas industry wrong. What they, what they were saying just a few years ago, that America had a gas shortage, now they, they admit that technology and discovery of new gas uh, was completely contrary to what they thought uh, just a few years ago. And there's no reason to think they could be wrong again, that there's a lot more recoverable gas all across Maryland than what Drew Cobb is saying right now. Uh, and that shale basin that you're talking about is called the Taylorsville Basin. It comes up from Virginia under the Potomac River into the D.C. suburbs. And there's already a company in Virginia that's leased about 70,000 acres of land on the Virginia side. So there's at least one company betting that that gas is coming up, and it's the same shale, uh, field, uh, gas field that comes into Maryland. Uh, but I, look, there's, there's going to be legislation passed by the General Assembly, uh, to, uh, protect Marylanders from, uh, from the fracking process. Uh, it's either going to be uh, a moratorium of some kind uh, and perhaps this liability bill that Senator Bobby Zirkin Has introduced. It basically says to gas companies, if you're so sure that you can do this safely, then we're happy to believe you. Uh, But like Ronald Reagan uh, used to say, trust but verify. And this bill would verify the fact that if something does go wrong in the the fracking process, uh, that the gas companies are going to be liable. And it's not going to be of a lot of court cases where the gas industry using its abundance of money and resources uh, basically uh, uh, gets to have uh, unplanned accidents and negative consequences to people's health and, and not be liable for it, ultimately. Uh, so this bill just clarifies that the gas industries would be liable, uh, and that bill has a really great chance of passing. I think it has the support of the, of the, uh, uh, of the Senate president, Mike Miller, and others. Uh, and uh, the moratorium bill also has enormous support. I think you're going to see uh, some... Uh, probably more than one bill passed, um, probably involving some kind of moratorium, whether it'll be eight years, uh, I don't know. In terms of an outright ban bill, I think it's less likely. I'm not sure that there's an appetite in the General Assembly to to ban fracking right now the way New York has, Uh, but there's a chance that with more study and more uh, review uh, that there could be a ban further down the road. We'll have to see.
0: Drew, your final thoughts on this well I, I don't really make predictions <laughs> about
2: legislation because uh, you're always proven wrong uh, on that that issue. I will do want to touch on that strict liability bill. It's an interesting bill. Uh, the commission studied all the liability and financial responsibility issues. They did not make a recommendation on strict liability. They did uh, make a recommendation on what was called presumptive liability. And uh, that was enacted a couple years ago. So steps have already been taken to, uh, to address that issue. The strict liability is interesting because, you know, we haven't brought that against any other industry in the state. And obviously, I don't wouldn't throw any other business or industry under the, the bus, but uh, there are a lot of dangerous and it's industrial activity and stuff. They're doing that. So it's extremely unusual. I think extremely bad for our business climate to have such a proposal out there.
0: This has been good. I, I really appreciate you both taking the time. I think that um, I think our listeners uh, benefited from hearing this and what's going to be happening in the Senate. We'll be following this on our website. All the Senate bills we talked about will be there, uh, and the Dep- Maryland Department of Environment is so, um, looking at this as well, at fracking. I want to thank Drew, Cobb here in the st- Drew Cobbs excuse me, here in the studio, Executive, dire- Executive Director of the Maryland Petroleum Council, Mike Tidwell, Founder and Director of the Chesapeake Climate Action Network, and author of The Ravaging Tide, Strange Weather, Future Katrinas, and the Race to Save America's Coastal Cities. Uh, Mike and Drew, thanks so much for being with us here on the Mark Steiner Show and Soundbites. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. And you're listening to the Mark Steiner Show and to Soundbites, produced right here in Baltimore out of your source for cool jazz and more, W-E-A-A 88.9 FM, the voice of the community, and broadcast on Delmarva Public Radio, W-S-T-L 90.7 FM. That's Rusty Cage, performed by Johnny Cash. It was produced by Rick Rubin and turns 52 today. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, This is Mark Steiner, and you're listening to the Mark Steiner Show, and sound bites produced here in Baltimore, out of your source for cool jazz and more, W E A A eighty-eight point nine FM, the voice of the community, and broadcast on Delmarva Public Radio, W S D L ninety point seven FM. We're hearing "Singin' the Blues" by Bix Beiderbecke, born on this day in nineteen o three. We're about to talk to Senator Paul Pinsky, who represents the twenty second district in the Maryland State Senate. He's vice chair of the Education, Health, and Environmental Affairs Committee and sponsor of Senate Bill 0257, Agricultural Nutrient Management, the Phosphorus Management Tool. Paul, welcome. Good to have you with us. How are you?
4: It's a pleasure. I'm doing great.
0: So (laughs) let me start this way. I want to hear all the things that happened between the bill that didn't happen and did happen and where you are with it all. Um, But I want to take a step backwards a little further if we could just for a minute. I mean, I remember when this first, we first reported on this phosphorus management tool when a few years back with Governor Martin O'Malley and, and even talked to him about it at, at, um, a couple of times. And, and everything seemed at that moment to be agreed upon by not just environmentalists and people who think you needed, needed this, but by farmers and even Purdue. Everybody was at this table. He kind of agreed to this thing. What happened?
4: Well, I, I think there was close to agreement, Mark, I, I think what happened is some numbers of farmers were still unhappy. I think there are going to be some numbers of farmers who will never be happy. And they went back to the community and sort of organized and agitated. And whereas there had been some segment of the farm community, I think, was willing to come to some kind of compromise, um, the pressure built from their neighbors and friends and fellow farmers that the opposition grew much larger and louder, Um, and I think any support there was in the farm community um, dropped off, and then you add the election, and it became somewhat of a campaign issue on the eastern shore, and the new governor um, took the side of the farmers, and I think whatever near consensus may have been built or close to being built fell apart.
0: So here we are now um, with uh, just before um, Martin O'Malley left office, he put into the, what's it called, the record, the... Uh,
4: regulations. The, um, uh, they promulgated new regulations.
0: Right. And and then those regulations, <clears throat> he, he said uh, um, that it was going to put in effect the PMT, the Prophosphorus Management Tool, but then he actually must have known that it wouldn't go into effect because it didn't have time legally, and then comes in Governor Hogan and said, well, we're taking this off the table. Well, right? A-
4: a- actually, he had tried three times previously. He had actually promulgated regulations. And when there was a big hullaboo, hullabaloo from the eastern shore, they pulled back and said, okay, we'll talk more, we'll compromise more. So this was not like a late-night effort. I mean, this had been talked about. There had been meetings for three years. Actually, um, he was ready to propose it earlier, uh, but language got into the budget saying there ought to be a study. And some people, both Democrats and Republicans, said let's wait till after the election." So as soon as he could after the election, he promulgated these regs, um, and we thought that it would pass the 45 days and take effect. It was actually adopted by the Secretary of Agriculture on, like, January 15th or 17th. I can't remember the exact date. The only step left was to have it printed, published in the Maryland Register. And that's sort of a pro forma thing. You just have to announce that it's happening. Mm-hmm. Well, someone asked the attorney general's opinion, and the attorney general said, well, it's really not completed until it's been printed. So he came in a day before it was printed, and he held off the printing. So, I mean, it was it was so granular in mm. the legal thing that blocked it. Now, that being said, if it went into effect, when he came in, he could have promulgated new regulations to reverse it. So. Even if they had gone into effect, he could have changed it. I, I think it was unfortunate by 24 hours that he just pulled them and held them.
0: So And so then the the but the governor then came up with a new proposal.
4: Right. Now, much, much of the proposal was the exact same language that had been worked on for the last year or two. I mean, so 80 or 90 percent of it was very comparable. The only two differences were instead of the final year where it had to be implemented being 2021 – It's pushed back to 2022, but more importantly, uh, about four different places in the regs, it says, um, you know, this has to happen by 2019, this by 2020, and finally by 2022, but in each section, it has language that says, condition on if there's capacity, if there's this, and if there's that. So essentially, there's a get out of jail free card at four different places, which potentially could mean the can would be kicked down the road continually, and there's no finite end date, which concerns me. And, And I hope that the administration believes in it and supports it, wants it to happen. Apparently, the farm community now realizes the science is legitimate, and it is a major problem. But with this soft language in the regulations, there's no guarantee that it ever takes place.
0: So you originally were a sponsor of the bill, correct?
4: I, the, I introduced a bill that essentially uh, codified what the former administration, Governor O'Malley, did, but I did it in code and as a law rather than rely on the regulations. And mine would mirror um, the regulations without these um, off-ramps, which give them an opportunity to not enforce it.
0: And so where is it? So but then the governor put in a bill.
4: No. He's just relying on his regulations. In other words, when he came in, he took what O'Malley had done, he tweaked it, he retained some, and he promulgated regulations that are going to be published any day now, and they're very public. Um, Because I saw that the former administrations, their regulations and proposal had been pulled, and the new set of regulations is is still, in my mind, too weak, Uh, I introduced legislation to put in law what we need to do.
0: So if your bill, if your bill passes... Um,
4: that would become the law of the land.
0: But th- only if the governor signs it.
4: Right, and then we'd have to consider uh, an override. Right. All of that is uh, a challenge. No question about it. I understand that. Um, we would have probably some ugly floor fights. Um, I think I have a majority on my committee. Um, would it pass the whole legislature? Who knows?
0: That I mean, that is the that that would be the issue. I mean, so where, where do you how do you see that fall, how do you see that falling out? I mean, what do you think? You think it'll probably pass your committee? Yes, um, we, we have
4: uh, I think six uh, members of my committee, which is a majority, have uh, co-sponsored the bill.
0: Let me just say now for our listeners that, that the, the Department of Agriculture could not bring anybody to the table today, but they did promise to bring somebody on on the program here, which will so we'll be talking to them as well.
4: Well, is, well, I you know and look, I, I, this is not a vanity operation. I don't care about having a bill with my name on it. I just want to get some rules in place that we can clean up the bay. It's that simple. And I want to put this in our, in our rearview mirror so we can move on to other challenges facing us. So, you know, I've met with the secretary and his chief aide on this issue twice. Uh, I met with the governor last week and spoke to him. I met with some people from the farm community today So if we can work it out and he's willing to change the regulations, um, you know, I would pull my bill back. But I have to have a little more assurance than what's actually in front of us right now.
0: I mean, this is watching this thing go back and forth. I mean, uh, I guess I sometimes, I guess many of us can be, after a while, watching these things become a little jaundiced about where things are actually going to go.
4: Agreed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Agreed. You know, and look, I've been pushing the boulder uphill on many issues over many years. Um, you know, I people say they're open on this. They want to have consensus that the farm communities come around to saying we have to reduce phosphorus. You know, it, it comes from this, this oversaturation in the fields because of all this chicken manure in the uh, lower shore. I mean, there's tons and tons of it, and some studies have shown that... So much is put on some of these fields, it's four times the amount of phosphorus that a plant can absorb. Because under normal conditions, this chicken manure is good fertilizer, you know, so I don't begrudge anybody using it. Um, But the problem is, if the plants can't absorb it and grow, and it's just going to wash off into a stream or river or the water table and end up in the bay and create dead zones and and kill the fish population and not have... um, um, uh, Seagrasses and all the other things. Then we're making no progress on the bay, and and everybody acknowledges that there've been three major problems. One has been wastewater, and we're upgrading the treatments because of the flush tax passed under Governor Ehrlich. Um, the, um, uh, the storm water, which is now under debate in the urban areas, and the third area is the over over uh, application. Of chicken manure, chicken poop from all the chicken houses, they don't know what to do with it, so they put it on their crops.
0: Well, I mean, that, but therein lies part of the problem. Just in terms of, I mean, the, 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 so you, let's say we have the, let's say the PMT goes into place, um, and that, and 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 it gets and it's regulated, and you right. can see how much is going up, which farm, and 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 how we judge that. The question then, this question still arises: What do you do with all the chicken manure? Uh, right, it,
4: it's a great point, and you have a couple of options. Either we have to start finding some new technologies that can take the chicken manure and turn it into something useful like clean energy. Uh one is anaerobic digestion, which is uh, one technology. Uh that's one uh option. You know, another is transporting it and moving it either to the mid shore or upper shore or Pennsylvania. Now it it costs money. But the fact is if you keep too much of it in the lower shore where it just isn't absorbed and runs into, into the bay, it continues to feed the problems that we have now, the algae blooms and the lack of oxygen and all the other problems. So, look, it's going to cost, and someone's going to have to pay for it. And unless we have new technology and we can turn it into real money, there's some expenses. And whether the state pays for it, whether the farmer contributes, whether the so-called integrators – the uh, Tysons, the Purdue, and the Mount Airs, right. who are behind a lot of this anyway, and unless they step up to the table, um, there's going to be some costs.
0: And of course, there's a lot of resistance to that, that, the latter idea you just gave, there's a lot of resistance to that because, I mean, there's been, in terms of the, just the sheer political power and, and, and the whole question of the economy, Eastern Shore, that becomes a difficult, difficult question.
4: Absolutely. And there's legislation before us, and there's there's been tension between some of the people who want to reduce chickens and chicken manure and, and the the industry. Look, I like chicken. You know, I try to eat that instead of beef, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I, 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 I'll eat Purdue chicken. Um, but there's got to be a plan in place. You know, it's not just that the growers buy the feed, buy the chickens, and then send back the chickens, and they're left with the poop and no place to put it. And maybe not enough resources to pay for shipping it out, and there's got to be an effective plan, because it's killing the bay.
0: Right. I, mean, I think, it mo- and most people at this point agree with that. It's that it's destroying the bay. Yep. And everything in it and around it. I mean, I've you know it's just it's. it's uh, um, you get former Senator Jerry Weingrad who just is on this in, in depth. I mean, right because he's, he's been dealing with this when he was a senator and since. So, I mean, it's, 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 and it's a major issue. I, I'd be interested to see how this kind of does pan out with a new governor in town, a Republican governor, and a, mostly, and a, Democratic, a majority Democratic Senate and House, and how this kind of plays out.
4: Yeah, and, and the other thing is, and again, I'm not a scientist, but I've learned this over time. Unfortunately, the phosphorus stays on the ground. So we're also paying, I hate to call it the sins, but the overuse from 5, 10, and 15 years ago. So this just remains a long time in the soil. So when you keep add, adding more and you spread this manure in the fields, it's manure on top of manure, phosphorus on top of phosphorus, and it just doesn't get absorbed. And so you get a good rain, or you get some erosion, you know, and you have these major problems. And and you know, there's some that say, oh, it's Pennsylvania, it's New York, it's Conowingo kind of Dam, right? But the fact is they can test the streams and rivers in certain areas, and they know it's coming from the streams and rivers. It's not coming from Pennsylvania. So, you know, there should be no abdication responsibility here. We can backtrack it to exactly the counties where it's coming from. I mean, they actually have focused on three or four rivers where it's just horrible, because they can, they can, they can test for it.
0: Well, we'll continue to look at this. And, and of course, as this winds through, we'll we'll ask you to rejoin us here and perhaps in discussion with some others as well about where we go. And uh, um, I appreciate the time you take with us, Paul Pinsky, and um, the work you do out there.
4: I appreciate it, Mark. I appreciate what you're doing.
0: Senator Paul Pinsky, who represents the 22nd District Maryland Senate, Vice Chair of the Education, Health, and Environmental Affairs Committee. Uh, and sponsor the Agriculture and Nutrient Management Phosphorus Management Tool Bill number 0257 in the Senate. And we'll see how this plays out in your committee and beyond over the next few weeks. Thanks so much, Paul. Thank you. Dig in the Sky by Pink Floyd from their album, Dark Side of the Moon, released on this day in 1973. I'm about to talk with Michael Twitty. He's a culinary historian of African and African American foodways, and he blogs at
3: AfroCulinaria. He joins us to share an African recipe. This recipe is called African Soul Fried Rice, and this fried rice recipe incorporates an ingredient that you'll have to go to your local close-by African grocery store for an ingredient called sumbala, or it's called netitu. It's a powder from the locust tree, the African locust tree. And it's kind of smelly and interesting, but no more smelly and interesting than any soy product from Asia. Um, it's basically the, the umami, the soy taste in West African food. And in this recipe, you can substitute soy sauce, but I prefer that, you try it using that traditional West African flavor. You take what you have left over, you utilize it, you cook it up, and there's an opportunity to really sort of engage of flavors and ingredients that are traditional to African and African diaspora cooking. So for the African soul fried rice, you're going to need two tablespoons of canola or peanut oil, two garlic cloves thinly sliced or smashed. Four scallions with their greens, clean, trimmed, and sliced thin. Uh, you'll need one tablespoon of minced ginger, one tables teaspoons of sea salt, red pepper flakes, powder, or sauce to taste, four cups of cooked rice. It can be brown rice. It can be white rice, whatever you want. One cup of cooked black-eyed peas, not mushy, just cooked until done and tender. Uh, you're going to need one half cup of fresh, thinly sliced okra, one cup of diced bell peppers, I like to use red, yellow, and green. mixed together. One cup of thinly sliced, washed, trimmed, stemmed collard greens. Uh, one teaspoon of sumbala or natto powder. And if you don't have it, then just use one tablespoon of soy sauce. And optional proteins can be eggs, can be, be more beans, can be shrimp, can be poultry, can be meat, can be tofu, whatever you want. Here are the directions. Heat one tablespoon of oil in a wok or large skillet until very hot. Add the garlic, scallions, and ginger and cook, stirring until they are soft and release their scent, or about three minutes. Add the other tablespoon of oil and add the salt, red pepper, and quickly saute the okra slices, bell pepper, and collard green ribbons for another three minutes. Add the rice, black-eyed peas, and sumbala and cook, stirring until heated through about five minutes. Stir repeatedly to keep it all from burning and monitor the heat. If you choose to add your proteins, add at this point and heat through another three minutes and send the table hot.
0: It's getting better all the time.
3: The Mark Steiner Show
0: and Soundbites are a production of the Center for Emerging Media, made possible in part by a grant from the Town Creek Foundation. Our producers are Mark Gunnery and Stephanie Marvronis. Our engineer at WEAA is Andre Melton. Our engineer at Public Radio Delmarva is Christopher Rank. On the way out of here... Getting Better by the Beatles, recorded on this day in 1967. To hear this show again, podcast any of our past shows, and find out information from the interviews we are doing on this program, please visit us on the web at steinershow.org. You can also listen to and download our podcasts on iTunes. For Public Radio, W-E-A-A 88.9 FM, The Voice of the Community, and for W-S-D-L 90.7 FM, Delmarva Public Radio, I'm Mark Steiner. Take care.
2: That I can't have But I've got to admit It's getting mad